0: Welcome to The Culture Shift. We want this podcast to empower you as leaders to make impactful change in your workplace. I'm Vicky Bars, and I specialize in transforming organizations through equity, diversity, and inclusion initiatives. In each episode, we'll delve deep into the fascinating world of workplace culture. Join me as I sit down with an array of incredible guests, including members of our very own Culture Shift team and industry experts. Through these thought-provoking conversations, We aim to equip you with the knowledge, tools and inspiration you need to drive positive change in your workplace. Whether it's breaking down barriers, thinking about how you include a more diverse workforce or fostering a culture of collaboration and belonging, we've got you covered. So let's dive straight into an episode. Hello and welcome back to The Culture Shift. Today, I'm so excited to be sitting down with Ash McDowell, our director of finance here at Culture Shift. Today, we're going to discuss the building the business case for inclusion, but also looking beyond the financial cost to the business and towards the cost to the employees' emotional and physical well-being. Ash, before we get started, can you give me a brief bit of context as to your role and what it entails?
1: Sure. Yeah. So um, I'm the finance director here at Culture Shift. And I'm responsible for Anything with a number uh, that comes into the business, um, looking after the risk, understanding how the business is performing, uh, and reporting out to our sort of key stakeholders to make sure that everybody is happy with the direction the business is going in, uh, and we're performing to the best of our ability, really.
0: So we wanted to talk today about the uh, cost to. Organisations um, when bullying, harassment, sexual misconduct takes place. Um, there's obviously the hard figures which you're very familiar with, um, and we'll go through some of those as we're having the conversation. But to set the tone for today's session, I think we also want to talk quite a lot about the cost to the employees' emotional and physical well-being. Um, and you know, there's a lot of research we've done as Culture Shift to um, kind of unravel some of the, that data and understand in a bit more depth.
1: Yeah. So. We all know that in the workplace you spend five days a week uh, speaking to your colleagues, being around people. You spend the majority of your waking time with your colleagues at work. And so it's really important that people feel comfortable in that environment. And if you're subjected to bullying or harassment in in that situation, that can take such a toll on people's emotional well-being, on their their mental health, um, because... You rely on your job, and so you're therefore you're kind of trapped, and yeah. there's very little you can do to escape that, um, and that does take such a massive toll on people.
0: Yeah, and I, th- I think the point you made there about like how much time you spend at work is really significant and um, it is the probably you know after sleeping what we do the most in our lives and um, unfortunately we still have a five-day working week I'm pro a four-day working week but we can have that conversation another time um, but you know th- this isn't a small problem loads of people are experiencing this on a regular basis um, I and mean, our research shows that 61% of people have experienced problematic workplace behavior um, and have had to take a period of long-term leave so you know thinking about the toll it takes on the individual that's you know, a lot of people not being at work
1: absolutely and that has such an impact on productivity in the workplace from an employer but but if you look to probably the more important issue there in terms of the person like that in that moment where you're being bullied or harassed that's an awful thing to go through but actually over half of those people said that that instant stayed with them for like over two years. And so for for something so probably trivial to the person that delivered, was on the other side of delivering that that case of bullying, can have such an impact on someone's long-term life, their their mental and physical health. Um, I just don't think people understand that long-term impact.
0: Yeah, and, and to crunch some of those big numbers as well, you know, £381,350 is the average payout received for a discrimination at work case. Um, that's quite a substantial amount of money. And, you know, it's in organisations' interests to not lose that money as a result of discrimination cases, but it's also the moral imperative to make sure that people aren't going through that because that's what that money's for, right? It's compensation for the damages that are caused. And we might think about those that language in like an insurance sort of context of like you know you had a car accident you get compensated for your damages you know we we fix cars it's not as easy to fix people when they've had these experiences
1: no absolutely not it's there's so much that goes into those figures and and you can't you can't argue with that case because the impact it can have on someone's life is ridiculous and just from not training your staff properly, not having a, a proper way of catching incidents early enough um, to ensure that this problem doesn't escalate and leads to those hefty payouts. Um, it's, it's, it's a lot of money for a business to swallow for, for an incident that could have easily been avoided.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's absolutely right that employees should be providing um support to individuals when they do experience this so the kinds of support that people could be providing are sort of therapy and you know employee assistance programs are quite you know I think they're in most organizations not many don't have them if I stand right on that um and you know the fees and 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 cost of of going through those particular sort of tribunals where those big payouts happen those you know could be avoided by supporting the individual earlier on
1: yeah absolutely um I look at a lot of things from a risk perspective. And when you're talking payouts of over a quarter of a million pounds, Mm. up to £400,000, the thought of paying a £1,000 a year to provide those sort of systems, it's peanuts. And it is, like you said, it's kind of an insurance as it was, but actually it's putting your best foot forward and looking after your employees. You know, the the distress might not have come from the workplace, and there's lots of knock-on effects that... Uh, people suffering from an incident outside of the workplace can have an impact in their day to day work life and so providing those systems covers you on all bases to make sure that you're looking after you 're looking after your people who in turn will look after you if they feel looked after
0: absolutely and we talked a lot with Chelsea on the last episode about psychological safety and building trust and you know people have lives outside of work and to acknowledge and recognize that and support them in that they I think their times are changing quite a bit on that I think like it used to be that you could only come to workplace schemes with workplace problems and now they're much more open and you know with benefits we have inside culture shift for example where we get to get you know a mortgage advice which is like one of the most stressful things people do is buy a house right like those sorts of things are really useful and help people in their everyday lives
1: absolutely uh, kind of a story actually um, when i first started uh at culture shift my uh, my mom had a, a cycle accident uh, quite a severe one um she had a, a brain injury which she has now recovered from but it was obviously a very distressing moment in my life it was mm. she was touch and go at one point and this was week one in a job yeah. where you're so keen to make that wonderful first impression you don't want to be taking time off um and the support that i got from culture shift this it wasn't uh, any sort of system it was just th- the feeling i got from from the managers here it was it was the understanding that i got that i needed to take time off It instantly told me that i was in an environment where i was going to be supported but separately to that the EAP system that we do have in place does actually cover sort of direct family members. And so my mum has actually used that system a lot to help with her recovery. Mm. Um, And so that just from week one just made me go, do you know what, I'm in an environment here that I'm going to flourish in because no matter what life throws my way, there's that understanding to help me get through that. And there have been times where, a work problem has come in that's required me to go the go like the extra mile to help solve it, and instantly I've gone. I don't mind doing this because mm. work went the extra mile for me when I when I needed it.
0: And it's about balance, isn't it? Massively. Yeah. So thinking about some of the other um, things we do in workplaces to support individuals' well-being, um, we have flexible working patterns, um, and those are. Exceptionally useful for individuals who, um, you know, are maybe from more diverse backgrounds. Like, I think a lot of the time, like, campaigns around flexible working came from working parents, mm-hmm. like, you know, mothers returning to work prim- primarily, but I think that's broadened now. Um, and there's a lot of um, work in like gender equity to think about how, you know, fathers in particular are taking more time off with newborns. Um, because We're still seeing that there is a a big gap in people's um, employment records. And it's absolutely, totally valid to take time off as a new mum. Like, absolutely, please do if you want to. But what was noticing was it was habitual rather than choice. Um, And so uh, there's been really great policies being brought in. And I think we've got some really good examples of culture shift. But I think, you know, those sorts of workplace policies and practices um, really allow people to help sort of balance work life, which I think, you know, is what you... Kind of alluding to there,
1: yeah. Work life balance is something that is is really important to people. I think particularly since COVID. um During COVID, we got used to working from home to being able to sort of almost dial in and dial out as as we were allowed to do during mm. that time. That that age of flexibility definitely sort of sprouted from there. And um certainly for me, I I changed my role. I, I moved to Cold Shift during the COVID pandemic and. I think back to the role I was in previously where I was in an office Monday to Friday. I was arriving at half seven. I probably wasn't leaving until half seven and it was just a completely different world. And mm. the impact that had on my mental health was ridiculous. But now that those flexible working patterns allow people to prioritise what's important to them and go, I'm still going to do my work. I'm still going to contribute in exactly the same way that I would But that flexibility really, it lightens the load knowing that you can make work revolve around your life rather than how it used to be, which was your life revolving around work.
0: Yeah. I absolutely feel those sort of long days in the office are well and truly gone and you know they happen from time to time you know you need to put that effort in um on like particular occasions but it, it feels great to me to work in an environment where it's not habitual um and that it is one off and I mean I um work from mostly remotely based in uh, London and the main head office is based in Manchester and so when I travel up and I'm here I might end up working a little bit later but usually the office closes out like bang on five o'clock and everyone goes home and speaks. Because people have got this wonderful work-life balance and it's it's encouraged and it's in and you know just things like having people in the senior leadership team putting that their childcare requirements like openly in their calendars so as people can see what they're doing like and um, and that reason they're leaving the office while they're going home not that you should have to justify it but it's it sets a really good example
1: absolutely and 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 I make use of that I've got a one-year-old at home and when I leave the office I make sure I leave slightly earlier than I probably ordinarily would have done so that I get that sort of golden hour before bedtime that I get to spend with my, with my daughter and then if I need to I will log on afterwards to sort of finish off any work for the day and I think that transparency like you said it it, it shows to people that I can do this if I need to as well it's leading from the top it's, it's, it's practicing what you preach um, and that flexibility can extend to cover all sorts of reasons I mean Um, As an example, if if you are of Islamic faith, uh, when it comes to Ramadan and fasting and things like that, Mm -hmm. actually, um, that flexible working pattern can work really well to ensure that you're not working at a time where energy levels are starting to seep lower, uh, and you can also be present and available when it's time to break fast, and so there's countless examples where flexible working hours can really sort of breed inclusive culture.
0: Yeah. I would love to bring into the conversation a couple of um, buzzwords we hear quite a lot on this topic, which is around sort of presenteeism and absenteeism, and sort of what's the difference and what they mean?
1: Sure. So, um, absenteeism is probably the one that everybody is familiar with, mm. uh, and that is people not being in work, calling in calling in sick, not turning up, um, which has... Uh, a considerable cost, but it's easier to spot as a problem that when someone has missing days in their calendars uh, that are perhaps unexplained or, um, or or might not be the full truth behind the reason why they are off. Mm. Presenteeism is kind of a little harder to spot because presenteeism is presenteeism is when people come into the office but aren't really there; they're not present. And therefore, the productivity is super low. Uh, There, they might be bringing a a quite negative attitude, uh, which can provide a a poor atmosphere in the workplace, Mm -hmm. and that can have a knock-on effect to other people as well. And it's it's a huge problem. Uh, In fact, um, Deloitte and the mental health charity Mind, uh, their research said that it costs employers between 26 and 29 billion annually. Uh, through lost productivity in the UK, and and that's you know an astonishing number, um, and like I said, it's kind of harder to spot those trends because people are turning up.
0: Yeah, and I, I think like for me, presenteeism also is about sort of thinking about people's um, natural energy and workflows. It's as, as if there's loads of different parts to it, but I think like you know the, we were talking about flexible working um, and that really feeds into it but there's also the like if you're unhappy in your workplace if you don't feel like you you should be there like there's something going on whether it's bullying harassment sexual misconduct or whether it's a discrimination case or whether it's you know um, because your workload doesn't match your skill set like there's so many different reasons why you might not be happy in work um, and yeah just turning up day in day out and not being able to engage with the work and not being able to um, kind of feel happy and, and enjoying it as well like we're we now in a time in history in the uk where work should be something that you enjoy and you feel proud to do and you shouldn't have to um you know just turn up and suffer it basically um and that is kind of what presenteeism is from what i understand
1: yeah absolutely and you know as humans we operate best when we are happy and content and safe and you know all Mm. those very basic needs that we need
0: maslow's hierarchy Uh, i believe yeah absolutely (laughs)
1: um All those things that we need as people to thrive. Mm -hmm. And again, those issues might not be coming from the workplace, they might be coming from home, but it can be a distraction and it has a knock-on effect. And also, high-performing teams work really well when everybody's firing in all cylinders. And so one issue affecting one person can have such a knock-on effect to their department or the entire organisation in terms of productivity and, and really making that team tick.
0: Yeah. And I guess like ultimately what happens if people are unhappy in the workplace is that we lose people. Right. Um, and the cost of recruiting is a huge dent in, in companies um, kind of turnover and income. And some uh, nationwide analysis reveals that um, on average, it costs around 30,000 pounds to recruit a new employee. Now, I think your figures suggest it might be more than that.
1: Yeah, so the the very simple cost of recruiting someone, but you know, be through being that through a recruitment agency, um, those numbers s- stack up very very quickly. Um, but there are other costs to take into effect when when you're considering recruiting, and that is you know loss of productivity when someone's coming towards the end of their time in work, their productivity drops. When you bring in a new person, it takes time for them to get up to speed. And so there's a huge gap there where you're not getting the full-time employee equivalent of of work out of people. Um, There's also the cost of of training. There's the cost of uh, taking other people out of their roles to onboard and to bring people up to speed. Um, And so my understanding is that it can cost anywhere between... 50% 50% to 200% of that person's salary to replace them. Mm. And if you're t- if you're talking people higher up in your organization commanding 60, 80, 100,000 pound a year salaries, that's that's potentially 200 grand it's costing to replace Ooh. one person, albeit, albeit a high up senior person in your organization, but that's a lot of money to sink just because you couldn't keep that first person happy and content in their role. Yeah. So, so in effect, when you're talking of costs, you know, up to £200,000, it's much more cost effective to make sure you're providing a culture to retain your staff, to keep them happy, rather than just constantly churning new people, because that's such a drain on your time, but most importantly, your money.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, with, with the concept of thinking about the business case for inclusion, it's it's really important that our workplaces reflect the types of people that we want to bring in. Um, and, and, you know, we purposefully at culture shift hire for a culture ad, not culture fit. And, um, and, you know, it, that can make it uncomfortable sometimes because someone may bring a, diversity that the organization doesn't know how to like meet their expectations. Um, And you have to go through a learning process. And that might be part of the retention process is actually growing and learning and educating yourselves as a company to ensure that that person can feel a sense of belonging.
1: Absolutely. People generally don't like change. Mm. Um, And when you recruit for culture ads It means your culture is constantly changing. And that's a challenge because when someone has been with your business for a while and has gotten used to the way that things are, and then someone comes in, adds something to the culture, and suddenly not everything changes, but there's incremental changes. And then someone else comes in and there's another incremental change. It can suddenly feel very far removed from where they once were. Now, that overall effect should lead to a much more positive culture, but keeping your original team happy with that ever-evolving culture is a really difficult balance to find.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the things we do really well, and we already mentioned in the previous podcast, the shift of spotlights, mm. which allow us to really get to know something about one another. But we've also got a, quite a comprehensive programme of uh, like equity and inclusion learning that we're going through. So we've done various different, um, like lunch and learns mostly, um, around different like types of diversity so we've had ones on like neurodiversity we've had ones on lgbtq plus inclusion um and and we've had ones on like bias and it i think you know these help with that continuous growth continuous learning continuous education so i think they're like broad stroke this is a group of people and like coupled with the this is your individual and what their interest is or who they are and you know telling you a bit about themselves like it's i think it's a really good partnership
1: oh absolutely i um in in finance finance is such a transferable skill so i'd never worked in a business like culture shift where all these things were important Mm. and i've been here three years and i am such a more well-rounded person (laughs) just because i i i'm exposed to all these different types of, of diverse people and cultures and I'm being challenged to think about issues that i've never had to think about before um, and I love learning about people and issues, and so I love the environment. I love that constant strive to educate um and it's just been it's been such an eye opener for me and I do you know I believe that there's lots of people that work here that have the same effect, and I would totally advocate for all businesses to give your staff the opportunity to talk about themselves on a wider basis because Mm. that is such a big way of helping people understand each other
0: yeah absolutely and so i'm going to bring it to uh thinking a bit more about problematic workplace behaviors um because you know we're talking about some of the more positive things there and i think you know bringing it back to the challenges that organizations face, Um, you know, they can have a really substantial impact on the individuals, on the wider workplace culture. But also, I think, you know, from our perspective as a scale up, like on investment and funding, right? And um, we aren't the only type of business that relies on investment and funding. And so, yeah, like what else, um, you know, what impact might that have?
1: So it's particularly at the moment it is such a challenging environment uh, it, for businesses that are seeking funding there's for the past almost 12 months um, prices of things have been absolutely shooting up and, and that affects everyone like I think everyone can appreciate the cost of electricity bills that have gone up over the past uh, over the past nine months food just seems to be absolutely skyrocketing um, and that that does impact everyone Um And when you get into the world of investment, they are raising funds from someone who is also suffering these issues, and that becomes more difficult and more difficult. Now, in a challenging environment, when businesses are presenting their business case to the private equity or the venture capitalist firms that are out there... In this environment, they are looking for any excuse to drop you. And the minute they see something like a problematic work uh, place, behaviour, or issues with the culture in your in your team, that is such an easy issue to go. We don't want to go anywhere near that. Yeah. Because they know that later down the line, that is going to come back to bite them.
0: And in fact, there's some data that backs that up. I think some research was done that says 86% of investors said that if they'd invested in a company that was embroiled in a workplace bullying harassment case, they would rapidly distance them themselves from that company. Um, it's quite a big statement.
1: It, I mean, it's a huge statement, but they... The um, the investors are normally representing a portfolio of businesses, and like it or not, uh, you are probably associated with the other businesses in that portfolio, so the minute that one has a workplace bullying problem in that portfolio, that reputation can go on to the investor, which can then be passed on to the other portfolio businesses, and so it makes perfect business sense to want to distance yourself from that because that's not just your investment, but also the potential future growth of all the other businesses in that portfolio that could potentially be affected
0: by that. Yeah, that's a big knock-on effect, doesn't it? Um, And, you know, another piece of information here is around sort of organizations hoping to secure investment, almost three quarters um, confirmed that they wouldn't invest in a company that had a problematic workplace culture. So that's, I guess, prevent, I guess, preemptively looking at it. Um, But also two thirds, so like 64%, um, wouldn't invest in a company that has numerous NDAs, so non-disclosure agreements, with former employees. Now, non-disclosure agreements are like quite a standard part of a settlement agreement. Um, And so um, that's a really big percentage and i think that you know the dial is shifting on how many people are using ndas now to settle um, employment issues around sort of bullying harassment and especially sexual misconduct there's been big campaigns around silencing victims of of, of that experience um, and so yeah like that's a really powerful statement from investors to say actually if you're racking up ndas there's probably a problem here
1: it's huge and and if you think about it the people in businesses are the experts on the culture and the goings on in that business. And it's kind of, maybe it's a crude example, but if you were buying a car then you would want to speak to the experts to understand how that car has been looked after. And Mm. you wouldn't buy a car if someone says, no, actually, this car has been constantly driven at high speed. You know, the tyres are absolutely burnt out because they've been razzed around corners. It's been driven into a ditch however many times. And so it's the same process. The investor is looking at you going, I don't I don't want a business that has driven its employees into a ditch.
0: Yeah. Let's um, talk a bit about company reputations and how easily they can be damaged. I think a lot of companies, you know, are um, pride themselves on their reputation. They, you know, need it to perform the function they do or sell the product that they sell. And um, you know, it, these sorts of harassment, bullying cases can quickly, you know, dissolve someone's good reputation.
1: Yeah, reputations are something that are damaged really easily. And the minute you get allegations of of bullying and harassment in the workplace it's going to have such an impact on a business on, on, a, on a number of fronts I mean we talked about investment before but recruiting top talents you know if, if you see in the news or, or there are websites now like Glassdoor where people will post reviews of their experiences in a workplace the minute they see that there is the possibility that i'm going to be mistreated if i work in this business that's that's going to just turn your head over to somewhere else
0: i wonder how many young people are thinking about not applying to a particular food chain for their first jobs at the moment with what's going on in the news
1: yeah absolutely and um universities as well i think uh the upcoming generation are a lot more tuned in to these mm. issues than than we ever were um, and I believe that when looking at universities, it, it's one of the things that they look for the most is, is, the, is the culture and the, and the student happiness over necessarily the, uh, the grades that that university is is, is generating. Um, and that will, as they become the future workforce, that will translate into people wanting to move into the workplace. So it, it's so important that businesses aren't letting this affect their reputation.
0: Yeah, and graduate expectations have been driving workplace um, expectations for so long. Like I think you know it, it happens generation on generation, and and we are um, seeing you know uh, an information um, kind of transformation i guess is the best way to put it like people have so much information like you say like glass door at, the, at their fingertips to help them make decisions about where they might want to work and who they want to work with and what sort of environment they want to be in um and yeah like you know uh, it's just so common to find workplaces where you know there are difficult experiences going on and more and more they're getting shared publicly
1: Absolutely. I remember when I took one of my first jobs that uh, a big draw of working there was they had a pool table. Um, but I don't <laughs> think that's the case anymore. That's not one, That's not it's the not draw. <laughs> it's not. It's it's certainly not enough. I yeah. pool, pool tables lovely. Um, but if you get to play pool while someone is harassing you in the background, then that's not a nice place to be in. If no. if I'm going to be treated well, but I don't get to play pool, I have to wait till after hours to do that. Then you know, that, that is the choice that I and many other people are going to make.
0: Absolutely. So ultimately, we're talking about the fact that workplaces need to invest in being somewhere where people can feel safe and included in order to succeed, right? We're talking about the fact that we want to make workplaces where people feel they want to not just show up, but contribute effectively. Um, and that is, you know, the antithesis of absenteeism and presenteeism which we talked about um you know we really want to ensure that people um if they're feeling burnt out have an option of what they could do
1: yeah so one of the things we offer at culture shift are are well-being days um and i i took a well-being day recently i uh i felt like i was wading through treacle uh, at the start Mm. of the week. Um, It got to Wednesday morning and I realised that I probably hadn't done as much work as I would have expected myself to do Monday, Tuesday. I couldn't really put my finger on what it was that was affecting me. I just knew something was. Um, And so I took the decision that I was going to take a a well-being day on the Wednesday just to get my head right I went for a walk in the sunshine I played a computer game uh, I think I ate some junk food um perhaps perhaps not the app the picture of absolute health but um it did the trick yeah. and when I came back in on the Thursday I was motivated and ready to go and I probably did more work in those two days than I would have done the rest of the week uh, had I just kept plowing on and trying to get through that and part of that was the fact that I knew that I wouldn't be judged for taking mm-hmm. that well-being day. I yeah. think sometimes there's a stigma. There's, I mean, there is a stigma attached to mental health. Yeah. Um, and that's not always seen as a genuine reason to take time off work. But actually, when we come back to what we were talking about before, about presenteeism and, and productivity, if you're not taking these things seriously and you're not providing someone with a safe space to go, do you know what, I need some time, just look after me today then you're going to end up in a situation where productivity absolutely falls flat where presenteeism is absolutely sky high and you've got a a non-motivated workforce who aren't producing great results which ultimately is going to affect your bottom line because you're not getting as much out of them the work they're doing isn't very good and and therefore that's going to lead to higher costs and lower sales and just a a failing business
0: yeah and i think Another thing I'd like to sort of bring into the mix um, today is around, like, hiring a diverse workforce and keeping a diverse workforce. <laughs> um, we've talked a bit about um, the cost of replacing people, um, and um, we've talked a bit about um, being people bring, being able to bring their whole selves to work in the sense of, you know, showcasing your, who you are and your interests around shift a spotlight kind of sessions but there's also you know um loads of data out there and haven't got any of it to my fingertips but um you know that shows that a more diverse workforce is a more successful one and it brings diversity of thought and it brings um innovation and it brings in you know the capacity to learn from one another and to like really um do things differently because if you just have a homogenous workplace where everyone thinks the same and works the same and you know you're going to stagnate
1: absolutely um businesses are getting much better at hiring diverse but the real challenge is is keeping Mm -hmm. a diverse workforce because you've got to provide that that culture that inclusivity that means that they feel supported and happy and safe in in their workplace and that diverse workforce is going to unlock so many key things in your decision making the, there are very very few businesses out there where where the end user isn't diverse and therefore how can you possibly say that you are providing the best possible solution to whatever the problem is that you're trying to solve if you're not taking all the viewpoints from everyone who could possibly benefit from your solution yeah. so you need that diverse thought you need the creative ideas coming from all areas to fully make sure that your solution is an all-encompassing one.
0: And that works for whatever kind of workforce you are, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Like whether that is um, a public sector providing services, whether that is, you know, um, in the tech industry providing products, whether that is in the finance industry making profit, like it applies to everyone, right?
1: Absolutely. And if you're only going after a majority group, you're still alienating all those minorities, which when added up, are a considerable amount of people
0: i would say the majority uh, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there's a reason actually that a lot of people of color like use the term around global majority um because it's it's a fact that like perhaps they might be from a minoritised group within the uk but actually we don't live in a world where borders are that much of a barrier you know we all work remotely loads of companies are global and you know um it, it actually like you know we don't stop at our own borders these days when it comes to business interactions um we are yeah actually like I say a global entity a lot of the time and um so actually you might not be dealing with a majority white country for example no. when you're like doing your business um so to have a majority white staff um might like really disadvantage you in in dealing with people when you're working internationally
1: absolutely and 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 almost to go back to the pure finances if you want to really capture that that full-on market share if you want to go after everyone that is out there you need to be considering every single aspect and appealing to all it's as simple as that
0: Thank you so much, Ash. This has been a really interesting conversation. We've covered so much. Um, we've talked about you know, thinking beyond the financial cost to the business um, of not having inclusion, what it costs to employees' emotional and physical well-being. We've talked a bit about um, the need to prioritise inclusion and why and the benefits that can bring to your company. Um, we've talked about presenteeism and absenteeism and the difference between the two and the impact that can have on your bottom line but also on the individual's sense of self. And we've also talked a bit about the like big cost of of employment tribunals, um, and then some of the like more everyday things that we can be doing, like flexible working patterns and taking well-being days.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been a really, really interesting conversation. I've loved every second.
0: Thanks. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Culture Shift. We hope you found it insightful and informative. We really appreciate your support and value your feedback. So if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, share your thoughts and don't forget to hit the subscribe button to stay updated on when we release new episodes. If you're interested in our other content or how Culture Shift can help your organisation, check out our YouTube channel, website or drop us a message and I'll see you next time.